Today is the 284th day of 2022, meaning that 77.8% of this year is already in the books. How do you feel about the approaching end of the year and the prospect of a fresh start? Or is it possible to wipe the slate clean at any moment? Every single edition of Charlottesville Community Engagement begins with an empty page, so let's see how this tabula rasa turns out today. I'm your host, Sean Tubbs. On today's program, there will be a debate between the two candidates in Virginia's 5th Congressional District on October 26th. The Botanical Garden of the Piedmont wants to find an architect to design its future buildings. Ten minority-owned businesses get funding from the United Way and the Charlottesville Regional Chamber of Commerce. And Charlottesville City Council gets a first look at the draft Climate Action Plan. Today's first Patreon-fueled shout-out goes to Charlottesville United for Public Education, who want listeners and readers to know about a Public Schools Matters webinar happening Wednesday, October 12th at 7.30 p.m. How will the reconfiguration timeline affect your student? What's in the plans to renovate Buford Middle School? How well is the school system doing on transportation nearly two months into the academic year? Join Charlottesville United for Public Education for the discussion and get ready to ask your questions. Election Day is now four weeks away, and the two candidates on the ballot in Virginia's 5th Congressional District have agreed to appear on stage at a campaign forum. That includes both Republican Bob Good and challenger Joshua Throneberg. Hampton Sydney College will host the event on October 26th at 7 p.m., as confirmed by representatives from both campaigns. As of yesterday, 19,619 people have voted early in the 5th District, part of the 169,138 across the entire state. That's data put together by the Virginia Public Access Project. You can keep track of those numbers on the VPAP Early Voting Dashboard in a link in the newsletter. Yesterday, Democrat Josh Throneberg unveiled a new campaign ad, which you can hear in a link below. A spokeswoman for the Good Campaign said they will not be making an advertisement buy on television, but are reaching voters in different ways. More on that in a future edition of Charlottesville Community Engagement. The deadline to register to vote is October 17th. A nonprofit organization that seeks to build a botanical garden on the eastern side of Charlottesville's McIntyre Park has issued a request for proposals for architectural firms to design future buildings. The Botanical Garden of the Piedmont has a ground lease with the city's Parks and Recreation Department to operate on 14.74 acres. The Botanical Garden of the Piedmont's executive director is Jill Trishman Marks. She said that the design of the major architectural components of the garden is the next step in bringing their schematic plan to life. The winning firm would be responsible for designing a visitor center with a footprint between 16,000 and 20,000 square feet, as well as a 1,000 square foot garden pavilion. The project would be paid for with private donations rather than public money. A mandatory meeting for firms is scheduled for October 18th at the Garden site off of Melbourne Road. Interested parties are asked to RSVP to Trishman Marks at an email address that's in the newsletter by October 15th. 
The United Way of Greater Charlottesville and the Minority Business Alliance have made a third round of grants to fund 10 organizations that are just getting started. Ravi Raspato is the president and CEO of the United Way of Greater Charlottesville, and she said that both organizations are committed to addressing historical inequities for minority businesses in the community, mostly access to capital. Eligible firms had to be based in the Charlottesville area, that includes surrounding counties, and have to have been in operation for at least a year, and have an annual net income of less than $100,000. The business must be 51% owned by a member of a minority group. They also have to be members of the Minority Business Alliance. That's a program of the Charlottesville Regional Chamber of Commerce. The treasurer of the Minority Business Alliance is Alex Erpe. He's the founder of Emergent Financial Services. He said in a press release that this set of grants is the amazing fruition of a continued and beautiful partnership between the two organizations that continues to provide new access to capital for minority entrepreneurs. The organizations are A Seat at the Table Events, Pearl Island Foods, 4Z Marketing Solutions, Step Media, Sisters Who Care, 777 Brand, Right Group Counseling, Second Serve Tennis, Vanda Lee, and Allen's Scottish Shortbread. Each business received $5,000 in this grant cycle. You're listening to Charlottesville Community Engagement, and in today's second subscriber-supported shout-out, the Albemarle Charlottesville Historical Society continues its speaker series with a discussion on teaching hard history with Hashim Davis. Mr. Davis is a native of Brooklyn, New York, who teaches high school history at Albemarle High School. Davis has received numerous fellowships and other honors for his efforts to fight anti-Semitism and racism by bringing stories of Holocaust victims and survivors into the classroom. His efforts have been noted by Virginia Public Media, The Daily Progress, NBC 29, CBS 19, and The News and Advance. Davis will be speaking with the ACHS about the current challenges and opportunities of teaching hard histories. The program will be in person at the Northside Library on October 13th at 6.30 p.m. Or you can catch the event on Facebook Live. Charlottesville City Council got a first look at the long-awaited Climate Action Plan for Charlottesville at a work session on October 3rd. The document is intended to help steer the city towards meeting energy efficiency goals. Crystal Ritterwald is the manager of the Environmental Sustainability Division in the Charlottesville Public Works Department. The city of Charlottesville committed to developing a Climate Action Plan, or CAP, to achieve greenhouse gas reductions of 45% by 2030, and carbon neutrality by 2050. It identifies projects, programs, policies, processes, and some key resources needed to support action in the near term. The plan also seeks to identify data sources to help track whether the city and community members are meeting various goals. Susan Elliott is the city's climate protection program manager. What is the data that our greenhouse gas inventories are telling us? Where are our emissions coming from and where do we need to focus efforts in order to reduce the emissions? Elliott said there are specific strategies for how to reduce emissions. 
these strategies and actions are looking at both things that the community can do and things that the municipal government can do. The plan requires yearly progress reports as well as a full review of the plan every three to five years. These will check to see if key actions identified under various strategies are actually implemented. For instance, one strategy is to increase travel by walking, biking, and transit. Key actions include create walkable, bikeable, and transit-served neighborhoods and include transportation demand management planning for sites in the zoning code and develop a mobility plan approach that seeks to leverage and interconnect bicycle, pedestrian, and transit infrastructure networks along with parking and the future land use map density areas. The Climate Action Plan is far from the beginning of the city's efforts to reduce greenhouse gas emissions. In 1998, the city was a party to the Jefferson Area Sustainability Accords. The environmental division in the city was established in 2002. Council signed the U.S. Mayor's Climate Protection Agreement in 2006. There have been GHG inventories produced in 2008, 2012, and 2018. The plan states that these will now be conducted annually. Uh, we are about two-thirds of the way towards achieving our 2030 goal, but we still have a long way to go, particularly when we look out to 2050 and um, reaching carbon neutrality. One long-term issue to be addressed is the decarbonization of the city's natural gas utility. Elliott said a consultant is being sought to work on a study. Elliott said that 95% of emissions are coming from non-municipal sources, with 5% from the city of Charlottesville. When we look into that 95% number, what we see is that about two-thirds of that is coming from our residential commercial buildings. And when I say commercial, that also includes nonprofits, um, businesses, houses of faith. The remaining emissions come from transportation sources, with a smaller amount coming from waste. The Climate Action Plan comes just as the city continues to work with consultants to rewrite the zoning code. Elliott said there is a table in the cap that demonstrates how many of its strategies are already called for in the comprehensive plan and waiting to be in the zoning code to help ensure the tree canopy doesn't continue to shrink while residential density is encouraged. There are also steps specific to the makeup of households in Charlottesville. Charlottesville has a 60% rental rate for households, which means if we're going to make progress in terms of how we're affecting our buildings, we need to look at things that are both owner-occupied, but also rentals and really being able to engage and find solutions that work for the property owners and the tenants in those properties. Elliot also said the city is a landlord to many tenants, and the plan asks for it to take that role seriously. Council got an update on leased property this past May. What can we do within our leases? What do we? Um, what is our relationship with those properties? And being able to help those tenants both reduce their emissions, but also possibly realize energy savings on their utility bills. City Councilor Michael Payne said the Climate Action Plan comes at a time when the budget season is beginning to get started. The Planning Commission will have a work session on the Capital Improvement Program in November, and he wanted to know if there would be requests based on the plan. My fear is it's such a big plan with so much in it that it it it's it could almost be easy for council to not figure out how we begin to implement it just because it's so much. None of this is going to happen overnight. So how do we pick in our CIP, you know, what we begin with? City Councilor Brian Pinkston noted that there's a list of projects on page 88 of the Climate Action Plan, such as $75,000 a year in citywide tree planting, $700,000 to convert streetlights to LEDs, 
and $400,000 for bicycle infrastructure. But he noted that city personnel would be required to manage those tasks. Those those things are there, and I hope when the city manager brings us a budget, we'll we'll see uh, we'll see those aligned out. Vice Mayor Juan Diego Wade said funding should be expanded for programs to help property owners cover the costs of new heating and cooling systems, as well as other energy efficient renovations. I think that we really need to support organizations like AHIP and, and LEAP and things like that because it's our homes that we're in. I think that we can have the biggest impact. Charlottesville Mayor Lloyd Snook said he really appreciated the timing of the report. I really, really, really appreciate the fact that we're receiving this in October. Uh, I've only been on council now for three budget sessions and or three budget preparations. And every time it's been enormously frustrating that somebody comes out with a grand and glorious plan in March. We have no ability to process a plan in March. Snook said the timing is also useful as the zoning ordinance is being rewritten. He asked for the city manager to prepare the plan for adoption as soon as possible. And that's it for this installment of Charlottesville Community Engagement. We're back after a slight break, influenced by the normal course of events. The goal is to get back to a more prolific schedule because there's so much to get to in the course of any week. Let's see how far we get this week. Thank you to the many hundreds of paid supporters, as well as to all of those who have taken out a shout out. There is a lot of opportunities to help cover the cost of producing this newsletter and podcast, and I thank those who have done so. And if you want to do so, one way to do that is through Substack. Ting will match your initial payment, whether that be $5 a month, $50 a year, or $200 a year. At that $200 a year level, you get two shoutouts a month. You can contact me for more information and let's talk. All Substack paid subscriptions get a little extra content, such as the September property transaction summary, which hopefully will be out later this week. And if you sign up for Ting through a link in the newsletter, you know what you're going to get, right? You're going to get a free standard installation, your second month for free, and a $75 downtown mall gift card. That's 25 times three! Enter the promo code COMMUNITY to get those benefits, and thank you, Ting. Musical interstitials in this podcast come from Vraki and not necessarily from the album Regret Everything, but that is available on Bandcamp and you can pay what you want. Other bits will come from the Fundamental Grang, coming to you through a break in space and time. I'm Sean Tubbs, the host of this program. I do hope to be back tomorrow for another installment of Charlottesville Community Engagement. Thank you for sticking with this and let's move on to 442. Goodbye. Goodbye.